In today's episode, we spoke to Marsha Weems Stacy, who is a current judge. Here's our conversation with her. Marsha, you said that you were a, um, you're a judge. Are you small claims court judge or what's your, your role? So in Mississippi, um, the lowest level of a judgeship is either a justice court judge or a municipal judge. And I'm actually both. Um, the justice court judges are elected in a county. And so I was elected um, to be a justice court judge. I was appointed to be the municipal judge in a little bitty town called Palahatchie, Mississippi, um, about uh, five years ago, five and a half years ago. Um, and then I'm also the pro tem judge, which is just the backup judge in two other courts, um, in one in my hometown of Canton, Mississippi, and then one in Gluckstadt, which is a newly incorporated city. So um, I haven't been able to do too much in that one yet, but um, I look forward to it as the city grows and they they need more, more help from me. But um, so both courts, municipal and justice, do almost identical things, but the justice court does have small claims um, with a mountain controversy up to $3,500. And the municipal courts don't, don't do that civil part of, um, they don't, they don't have the civil division. They just have the criminal division. So both um, here, misdemeanor, um, misdemeanor criminal cases, um, and we set bonds and felonies. We do preliminary hearings and felonies. Um, I do in justice court. I do a lot of domestic protection orders. Um, justice court judges have the authority to marry people. So a couple of our judges do weddings in the court. Um, we sign warrants for every agency from sheriff's department, any of the local municipalities to MBI, which is the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, MBN, Narcotics, um, Wildlife and Fish, um, mm -hmm. Reservoir Patrol, uh, Highway Patrol, um, just about any alphabet, ABC, uh, alcohol beverage, um, just about any alphabet agency you can think of. Um, if a potential crime occurs in our counties and we may be signing warrants for them. So my kids have gotten very used to a revolving door of lots of types of law enforcement in and out of our house uh, at all times of day, night, um, because that's one of the parts of my job. Yeah, I was uh, curious about how that works because you always um, see it, you know, on uh, both in the pop, pop culture, but also when you hear that criminal cases that they need to get a warrant signed and then they find a judge. And I was wondering, <laughs> okay, so can you be contacted all hours of the day and night? I can and I have been. Um, I can only think of one time when I had to actually go to the sheriff's department at four o'clock in the morning, um, which I did. But um, I also remember one time the sheriff's department tactical team um, needed a search warrant and they were, they were planning to, um, serve it at a home and they were going to basically surprise, you know, it was going to be a, a surprise service. Um, so they were geared up with their tactical gear on and my son was pretty young at the time and 
it was like six o'clock in the morning and they were in, in the den and he said, mama, is that the FBI? <laughs> and I, said, oh. I said, no, buddy, that's just the same old guys you see all the time. They're just all dressed up in their tactical gear. So, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's really important that um, that the men and women who are, um, you know, seeking warrants are able to get in touch with me whenever whenever they need to. So, um, you know, if I'm out of town, I, I can't. But luckily, there's in my justice court, there are four of us that are elected to serve in the county. So, you know, one week out of every month is my actual bench week. It's the week I'm there at the court physically from Monday through Friday. And each one of us has a week. So that they, you know, the the judge who's on call is generally the one who they go to first. But then even if it's not our week, we are considered full time because we basically are on call twenty four hours a day for any any of the agencies that need us. So I try really hard to accommodate um, law enforcement. Um, you know, if I have to meet them in a gas station to to look over their warrant and approve it, I keep a seal in my car. Um, but they're pretty good about knowing that I've got kids and they'll come to me. That's so, good. Have you ever? Uh, I hope it's a, okay if I ask. Have you ever said no? Like I'm not signing this. I don't know that I have said no outright because I will say most agencies, most officers are not going to come ask for a warrant unless they have probable cause. I mean, they're, they're really not. And, and I don't recall any that have been just iffy, you know, they've, they've really, they're really able to lay out why they need the warrant. I have sent some back for typos <laughs> and I have sent some back to make things clearer. Um, if I felt like that, you know, when I read what they typed, it wasn't as detailed as what they were able to tell me verbally. So I've sent them back to say, I think I would be more comfortable if you would go add in some of this that you told me or be, you know, plainer about that so that it's very clear as to why this person or why this house they are so they're very specialized in a lot of what they do and um you know i have a lot of officers from different divisions who will at, they ask a lot of questions you know they want to make sure that they're that they know what the law says and what they can do and what they can't do so um i i feel like i'm our area is pretty fortunate that we have some well seasoned officers. Marcia, did you always want to go into law and, you know, work <laughs> in the legal field? Um, I always loved and was fascinated by the law and court and, you know, any television show about that when I was younger. Um, I will say, and I, I get to speak to a lot of classes and I, I say this often and it's true and I hate to say it, but when I came out of college, like it, it crossed my mind, but I didn't think I was smart enough. And I hate thinking about that me back then 
that thought that, that you know, that I, I wasn't smart enough to go to law school. Um, law school's awful. I mean, it's <laughs> really hard and I hated it. But, um, you know, it's that broken road that you rec- look back on and recognize that things worked out the way that they were supposed to. But I, I actually have a master's in English and I was going to teach. And my goal was really to teach in college. And I did. For a little while, but I was only able to teach adjunct classes for the most part. I had a one-year contract at the school where I graduated from that they give for one year to somebody who's just gotten out. And so I got to to do that full-time for one year. But for the most part, it was all adjunct classes. And the area where I live in, there just aren't that many like community colleges around us. And so those jobs were really hard to come by. I ended up, I taught eighth grade one year and I taught um at my alma mater 10th grade English and a couple of other classes and then I went to work for the um prosecutor in my court so you know a lot of the cases that y'all talk about and that we know about you know from truth and justice you're talking about the district attorney well in my court it's the county prosecutor so their roles are are the same but on different levels of you know of cases so I um, was offered that opportunity and um, got to, I was his administrative assistant, which basically I was his secretary, but I got to be really involved in um, gathering all of the paperwork and um, getting the um, officers to court um, and, you know, got to work behind the scenes with the clerks in the court and really saw how the court worked and fell in love with it. Um and it was at that time that I decided maybe I wasn't so dumb after all, <laughs> and I wanted to go to law school. So when I was pregnant with my first child uh, and working there, I decided to sit for the LSAT, and I was five and seven months pregnant taking that test. I had carpal tunnel in both hands. <laughs> I was so miserable, and um, I remember I got the results from, I think, my second, I took it twice. So I found out that I had not done better the first time, I mean, the second time. And I remember laying on my couch and boohooing at eight months pregnant, thinking there's no way. Because where I was married, my husband at the time was uh, working. He was a carpenter. He had a business established. We weren't moving. So we were, I was only going to that law school in Jackson, you know, or not. And, um, Anyway, the next day, the letter came in the mail saying that I had been accepted. So um, I went to law school. My son was four months old when I started. And like my mama said, when Marsha went to law school, we all went to law school. And that was true. I mean, I could not have done it. I didn't do one extra thing in law school. I went to class. I came home. I took care of my child. I studied, you know, fixed supper every once in a while, I guess. And then um, so... In my third year, let me say, y'all haven't asked this, but the qualifications for justice court judge are you have to have a high school diploma and be over the age of 18. Yeah. That's it. Because the, that's it. Because the justice court in Mississippi was designed to be the court of the people. We were the old justices of the peace. So back in the day when you would hold court under a tree, Mm-hmm. And the wise man in town was the judge. Mm-hmm. That was where that came from. And so it was not designed to be 
um, full of lawyers. You know, it was supposed to be people could walk in, represent themselves, have a judge that was one of them, um, and they haven't changed the law. Now, I will say I don't have the numbers. Um, I think there's about 180-something justice court judges in the state of Mississippi, and I don't know how many of us are lawyers, but that number grows every year. Um, there has been talk that they may change that law. And, you know, I'm a little conflicted about it because I do understand why it, why they've tried to keep it this way. Um, but as the laws have changed and things have gotten a bit more complicated, um, I know my law degree serves me well. Um, it's not often that I have two attorneys arguing a legal issue in my courtroom, but I love it when it happens <laughs> because it's challenging and it's, you know, I get to kind of go back to my law school brain. Um, but most of the people who are in my court are, are unrepresented. So you have to have that balance of I can either be your attorney or I can be your judge, but I can't be both. Um, and so, but you have to recognize that these are not lawyers. And so there has to be a bit of patience there, you know, with people who are representing themselves. But if I could go back, those are the qualifications. So my third year of law school, I, that was the year of qualifying for my position and the election was coming up that year for, for that cycle. And um, I had someone approach me and say, you know, I, I think you would be good at this. And I was like, who, me? Like me, you know? And um, they were like, yeah, I really do. And so when I thought about it for a second, I thought, you know what? Not to be haughty, but I really do think I would be good at this. So I called about four people that I trusted the most. And I told myself if any of the four laughed, when I told him I was thinking of running for justice court judge that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and none of the four laughed. Wow. <laughs> so I threw my hat in the ring, right? <laughs> I threw my hat in the ring while I was still in law school. Um, so that summer or that spring summer, um, I graduated from law school. I started studying for the bar. I was campaigning I took the bar actually on my birthday and the day after and before um, late July. Um, and then I had my um, my election the second week of August. I went to a runoff. So I had two more weeks of campaigning and then, and I won the election. And then a few weeks after that, I found out that I failed the bar. And so, um, but the best part about that was I could take the bar again. Yeah. I couldn't read the election again. So I, re I took the bar again in February and I passed it that time. And I've said a million times, you know, it's just, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was just being pulled in a million different directions. And I think if I had passed the bar and won the election, my head probably wouldn't have fit through the door. So it was a real lesson in humility and what I could expect of myself. Mm -hmm. um, but it worked out, I think, exactly, you know, as it as it should have. 
Oh, that's great. And yeah. I was wondering, when you have a lot of uh, people in your car that are not represented, how, how does that go down then? Are you the one making sure, you know, that all the rules are held up or? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, um, you know, you could have a mix of a lot of things. You could have two pro se litigants. Um, and in and, and this in this scenario, I'm talking more civil um, because okay. yeah. in criminal, you always are going to have a prosecutor, you know, on one side. Um, but like in a in a civil proceeding and you've got two litigants and mm-hmm. one is suing the other because. Um, gosh, they run the gamut. Um, somebody bought a car that quit working, you know, two weeks after they got it or their fence that they share is rotten and one won't replace it or a brother stole somebody's tractor and you know so it's a lot of that so you know I don't want to say the rules go out the window they don't but it's a it's just a different um I do everything that I can to make sure that both sides understand what's happening Um, that they have their chance to present their evidence and explain, you know, their position. If they have witnesses, you know, to let their witnesses testify. Um, But it's, it's nothing like what you see in the higher courts. You know, it's, it is a bit of uh, refereeing in some ways, um, a bit of mediating in some ways, and um, just trying really hard to get to the crux of what the case is about and you know I can't tell you the number of times when I've had people say if I'll say well do you have those receipts and they'll say well not not with me but I can go get them and I'm like did you know where you were coming today like (laughs) you know it's kind of like Judge Judy (laughs) (laughs) well I hate to say that and for any lawyer or judge out there listening they're cringing right now because <laughs> you know um but it it's it's not that different in some ways I mean it's it's two parties with no lawyers who are trying to to just you know present what they have in the best way that they know how to have it um how to get it and um you know I have a lot of situations where it would have really helped to have had a witness but that witness had to work or you know they had a phone that they got rid of a year ago and it it's just not there but I can't hold somebody accountable for a, a crime or money owed if that evidence isn't there right. if I don't have it I can't hold that person accountable for that and I don't so you know I know it's frustrating to those pro se litigants a lot of times and and I I don't know in every case, if it would help them if they had an attorney or not. Um, Some, most definitely, but some are just, it's the way that level of our court is set up where anyone can come in and file that charge, whether they had gone to an attorney first and that attorney may have had an opportunity to say, "Uh, eh, I really don't know that this is something that you want to waste your time on, you know, uh, to have that step before it gets to the court might be helpful. Um, but yeah, it, it, 
it's a different, it's just a different type of court. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of really like the idea that it's a court that is accessible to anyone. Like you don't have to be, to be able to pay a lawyer or something to uh, have your day in court or your, present your issue. And I would say that mediating maybe the small stuff um, stops a lot of maybe uh, cases ending up in higher courts and more serious criminal courts. Like if you can resolve things with just the two, you know, people opposing each other and, and you helping them to go through and have them each have their say, Maybe something is resolved that would uh, end up in some major conflict later. So. I, I I agree with you completely, and and I I think you know for me I try it if I'm hopeful of that if if that's a possibility because as you can imagine as I've just some of the things I've described you know if I get an affidavit come in. And then 10 minutes later, I get another one and I know they're cross charges and they're family members and there was a disagreement. They're generally just really mad at each other at the time. So if I'm able to set that for a probable cause hearing rather than just issuing warrants um, and let's say I can't get them in until the next month, well, then time has gone by. Tempers are not as high. And sometimes it's just a matter of letting them say what they want to say. But at the end of the day, they will make the decision. I really don't want to go forward. Um, I just want this person to leave me alone, or I just don't want this to happen again. And so in that way, I, I hope and, and believe that the mediation possibility, you know, does stop some things from, from going bigger than they should. Um, there are some that just can't be resolved that way and shouldn't be resolved that way. Um, but that's where, you know, taking every single case individually and every, you know, I could have 10 domestic violence cases in a row, but they're all 10 going to be completely different. And so you can't just blanket it just because it's the same charge. You have to treat each one different and each set of people involved differently. Um, and I I try really hard to do that. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. And we're able to a bit more on this level. You know, we're able to um, now understand everything is done in open court. There, there are no, <laughs> you know, no earwigging, no... It's all done at the bench in open court, um, but some of the processes don't have to be um, as formal, I suppose, um, as some of the higher courts, the way that they, they do things. People don't have to come in and, and file typed motions and then answer those motions. You know, they can come and basically say it at the bench, and we deal with it the same way that a higher court judge would if it was in a formal motion and then an answer. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please check back next week for part two. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you can get notified of when our new episodes release and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Touch by Crime. Thanks, and we hope to see you again next week.